seated. <clears throat> it is a privilege to worship the Lord, isn't it? And I really appreciate Brandon's faithfulness to be here and lead us in worship. And Sloan and Ashley, it's great. That's right, you can show them your appreciation if you want to. And in no way we want that to take away their blessing for serving. <laughs> What's the basis of worship? Yeah, someone say truth. Yeah. The word. Um, you know, like the opening line of this last frame. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's, that's in Scripture. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. So my uh, sisters tell the story. I, I don't remember this, and I think maybe only a couple of them, uh, they remember my mother doing this. She loved uh, reading Scripture. And one day she was just so absorbed in what she was reading, just crying, which was typical for her. And she looked over at him and she said, this is so good that I could eat the pages. And she meant it. She said, this is so good to my soul, I think I could just tear the page out and eat it. Well, that metaphor is not too far removed from the Bible, you know that. In Ezekiel 3, the Lord shows, an angel shows, I think, Ezekiel a scroll. And he tells him to take it and eat it. And he says, now, in your belly, it's going to create indigestion. And I, and I just, you know, interpreted bitter, different. In your mouth, it's going to taste really good. <laughs> but when it gets down into your system, it's going to create something in your system. That's pretty much how God works, isn't it? He straightens us out. And then you have the last book in the Bible, the Revelation, as, as John records it, and same thing happens to him. An angel hands him a scroll and tells him to eat it, and it's almost like a verbatim of Ezekiel 3. This is in Revelation 10. It says, now it's going to taste pretty good in your mouth, but when it gets down into your, your belly, it's going to be bitter. And it's, and, but it, I like the metaphor that he says, eat this. Not just read it. And maybe that's what the Lord meant when he said, blessed are those who not just hear, but put into practice what they hear. And I think that's really kind of like consuming it, right? And uh, we're going to take a look <clears throat> at one of the Psalms that kind of champions this approach to God's word. It's the longest psalm in all of the 150, so you ought to know right off the bat which one I'm talking about. Now, just, just a little bit of background on the Psalms. These are not chapters. We make a mistake when we say Psalm chapter 1. <laughs> These are not chapters. These are individual songs. These are the numbers of a songbook. Isaiah is just one continuing narrative 
and they divided it up in 66 chapters, the translators did so that you and I can tell each other where we're at. Instead of, <clears throat> says, keep on going, it's about two-thirds of the way there. But Psalms is totally different. 150 songs, and, and, the, and the era by which all of, most of, almost all these songs were written in David's time frame. Not all of them written by David, but because of David's influence, there was an explosion of worship. And what was the basis of that worship? When you look at Psalm 119, there's some, there's some great lines in there. What about um, that hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against God? Thy word have I hidden in my heart? Um, we're going to be looking at three verses in 119. I haven't told you those verses yet, have I? Anyone here got a full life study Bible? Besides me? Um, <clears throat> I think I mentioned this before. This psalm is totally different. Not just because it's over 170 plus lines but it's divided up into 22 sections. And if your Bible has the Hebrew alphabet at the start of each of those sections, Psalm 119 is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. How about that? I think maybe they might have started that idea, the acrostic idea. <clears throat> the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is olive. And it's kind of got a, it's kind of like a box with lines this way and lines this way, but it's got a little swirl to it. And the very first word in Psalm 1 is, starts with olive, the alphabet. When you get down, I think verse 9 is where the second uh, bet, gimel, and it goes all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. And the first word in each of those sections, this is written intentionally to follow the Hebrew alphabet to say to the entire Hebrew language that the word of the Lord is the most important thing that you'll read in your language. And the word of God is what, and let, me just, let me just share what the Full Life Study Bible says about this psalm. It says, this psalm expresses a majestic love for God's written word. I'm quoting. It deals with the word as promise, command, guide, testimony, teaching, wisdom, truth, righteousness, and rebuke. It continues on. It expresses a profound love for God by reading, meditating, and praying over his word. He teaches us that we will grow in grace and righteousness only as love for that word increases in us. So three verses we're going to look at is beginning with verse 46. Verse 46. And with that backdrop, here we go. Reading out of the NIV, I will speak of your statutes. That's another reference to the word of the Lord. Before kings and will not be put to shame. And by the way, in every verse, there's a reference to God's word. 
statute, decrees, commands, word, law. Verse 47, and, I, and I'm using 46 because he's continuing what he's saying. And I'm not going to be ashamed of your word. I'll read it before Kings. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I don't hear too many people say, I just love the commandments of the Lord. Verse 48, I reach out for your commands, again, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. You can say that the songbook of the Hebrew people celebrated the fact that God had spoken to them through Moses and through the prophets, but by the time the Psalms were written, these people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, it was already completed by the time they arrived, so they didn't have the input into the songs. So why was, why was all this generated at this one particular... The, the temple wasn't built yet. We know the temple wasn't built because David wasn't living when the temple was built. One of the last things he did before he died was commission his son, Solomon, to, to make sure that he was crowned king because there was a you know, an effort to, to move somebody else in David's place. So all these songs, they, they, these, this songbook was in place before the temple worship was established, but it was part of the tabernacle worship. I want to take you to a couple places in Chronicles, and if you'll just, um, you know, hold your place there in Psalm 119. In First Chronicles 25, David is a musician, he's an accomplished musician, songwriter, just a gifted man, but he's an organizer too, and, and very few of these qualities arrive in one person. <laughs> he was extremely organized, as well as creative. And in, Psalm, in 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1, I want you to hear this if you're not there where you can read it, listen to what David did with all of this. David, together with the commanders of the army, set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jetuna for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, cymbals. Here is a list of the men who performed this service. And dropping down to verse 6 in 1 Chronicles 25, all these men were under the supervision of their father for the music of the temple of the Lord with cymbals, lyres, harps, for the ministry of the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the supervision of the king, meaning David. David was arranging all this. Along with their relatives, all of them trained and skilled in music for the Lord, they numbered 288. That's a pretty good orchestra, isn't it? Now, this is why we have the songs. Because these songs were written for these people to orchestrate and play as part. Do you realize there's very few references to corporate worship prior to this? They had songs, they had moments where, where like Miriam grabs a tambourine and she sings and they sing a song of victory but you very rarely see where it's mentioned. 
It's not ever mentioned in Moses' stipulations about the temple and sacrifices. He, he doesn't even mention songs. They had occasions where they'd break out in a song of victory, but not. it wasn't like, obviously, you know, part of the tabernacle worship. So here's David. This David's influence. David was the, David, you could say, is the father of worship, a worship team. David was the one who started what we do at the start of services. Until then, there's no reference that that took place. But it's in David's heart, along with the sacrifices. The sacrificial system was in place way, way back. From Moses' day to David's day, the sacrifices were in place. And they made sure that the Levitical priesthood did their job. But they expanded, David expanded it to include some of the Levites who was gifted in music. Now, if you go over to 2 Chronicles, and we have that great chapter in chapter 7 where, you know, we have 714, if my people who are called by my name. Well, all of this was written after the temple was completed. It's taken several years, and Solomon gets ready to dedicate the temple. And this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. I want you to see this. Remember, David is gone. He's, he's not on the scene here. His son, Solomon, is in charge. But look at David's influence. All the Levites, this is 2 Chronicles 5.12, all the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, and Jethunah, and their sons and relatives, these three men that David recruited to get this thing going, they're there, and they got now an expanded family. They stood on the east side of the altar dressed in fine linen, playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests. Now they got a woodwind section, or brass section, you might say. Trumpeters, 120 men on trumpets. I think you could probably hear them. So they're expanding it. The trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpet cymbals and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. There is a connection between worship and the manifest presence of the Lord. The Lord is always present with us. But when you get to worshiping, he reveals himself. He even says he seeks people like that. He seeks out people to hang, to be in company with, to be in with them. He makes his presence. And that brings you back to Psalm 119, 46 through 48. When he says, I will speak of, to kings about your laws. I will not be ashamed how I delight in your commands, how I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. And that concludes the Vav section, the alphabet of the Vav and the Zayn 
section is about to begin in verse 49. So this, this is the concluding of one of these sections, and he's talking about loving. Listen, listen to the message here. He said, I delight in your commands. Delight. Now that's an interesting word, isn't it? What do you delight in? Now, I don't think it's like when I asked a church after I preached, I was still a student in the Bible college. We had a great service. It was not in the Assembly of God church, but it was a great move of God. And they wanted to report to the pastor who had gotten baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they also counted who got sanctified. And they were asking, who was sanctified tonight? And a couple of people raised their hand, and this guy's looking, and he looks over here and says, you got sanctified tonight. He said, I did? And he raised his hand. Well, I thought, I'm just a Bible college student, but I know he didn't know he was sanctified. I don't know. How, how do you know you're sanctified? If, if somebody else has to tell you, you got sanctified, I did. Well, yeah, count me in. It's kind of like, do you have to... Do you have to have somebody tell you you delight in something? Oh, I do? Yes, I delight in that. Delight is a discernible posture of your spirit, isn't it? Or your taste buds. There's, certain, there's just certain foods that I delight in, and chocolate is one of them. That's not a blessing. <laughs> you know, you delight. Well, what, do you, what is he saying he delights in? This is a discernible, obvious response. And he says, I delight in your commands. This word is found only eight times in the entire Old Testament, this Hebrew word. Four times in Psalms and four times in Isaiah. And it means a, a longingly enjoying something. To have pleasure in doing something or experiencing it's a delight. It's an enjoyable experience. And he said, Lord, your commands, I don't know, this is kind of an odd thing, isn't it? Your commands, I delight in your commands. Just can you give me more of them? This is almost like him saying, your commands are so good to me. But how, does, how do we get there? And the word translated commandments it's found 26 times in Psalms and 22 times it's in Psalm 119. It just dominates Psalm 119. I delight in your commands. But listen to 47 again. Because I love them. Another word that you just don't throw around. I love them. The two words, deep expression, delight and love. I love your commandments. How often do we see obedience as a, a laborious activity? I think when we're talking about obeying the Lord, we're like, the Lord's twisting our arm behind us. Okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. But so eager to obey the Lord. We, we really need to walk in that, really. We're told in Scripture... You know, do not quench the Holy Spirit. The leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't back off from following the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be neat to say, I just love following the Holy Spirit. Instead of kind of being so overly cautious, we, we kind of put restrictions on ourselves. And, well, I don't, I don't want to step out 
and do something that's, that's not the leading of the Lord, it's almost like we're more concerned about messing up than we are about just following through with what God's prompts us to. And he says, I love the commands. And in verse 48, oh, this is so good too. He said, I reach out for your commands. I reach, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Reach has an idea of longing, desiring. I got to do this. I have to do this. I want to do this. I want to grab hold of your commands, Lord, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. You know, one of the things I think we don't do enough of, and that is meditating on God's word and being quiet and still. We are so noise-oriented. I think it's a struggle for us just to be quiet and have quiet around us. Brennan Manning, I, I read a book, The Furious Longing of God. Didn't know the man existed, but now I'm just crossing paths with him right and left. Did not know that Rich Mullins, until this week, had a... Uh, Brennan Manning had a powerful influence on Rich Mullins. And it kind of reminded me of uh, Max Russer, who influenced me early in ministry, about this being in God's presence and waiting in God's presence and listening to him and being still and not filling up my mind with, you know, you, you can fill your, your mind all day long with the radio, with uh, your iPhone, with conversation, but there should be a time where we back it all down and just sit in his presence and wait in his presence and be still and listen and see what he says to us. I want to take you to a, a statement later on in this Psalm 103 and kind of speaks to this about this. Uh, how sweet are your words to my taste. My mother would say, see, I told you I could eat the page. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And that's pretty sweet. Going down to verse 131. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. What do you think that means? I open my mouth. Well, here we go with the metaphor again. And pant. The word actually means to gasp. To eagerly want. As an animal. Thirsty, just one drink. The writer of Psalms says, I long, I'm, I long for this. I pant for this. And then he says, I long for your commands. By the way, the word long for your commands, that word longing, that's the only place in the Old Testament it's found. It's not found anywhere else in the Old Testament. And in contemporary writings, it really is used for an animal that's thirsty and craving nourishment. And what he's saying is, my soul is craving the nourishment of your word, Lord. Think about this, a desire that consumes us, that the, the, the song covers the entirety 
of the alphabet of the Hebrew language, which really reflects the word of the Lord, the complete word of the Lord. You realize that God cannot be separated from his word. He is in his word. Every word he spoke is still alive and working. The Bible starts with God creating the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And the second thing, and he called the light day. And he called the darkness night. And that, my friends, was the first day. Before then, there wasn't a day. And he made it how he spoke the first day into existence. He made something. But he spoke that, which shows you the power of his word. When we sing the song, My Soul Longs for You, I think I can be honest with you. I love to experience the presence of the Lord. But sometimes I think we're pressed to have those experiences. We, we want those experiences maybe more than we want his instruction. And we need his instructions more than we need experiences because his instructions make sure that our experiences are genuine. Because there's people that have experienced a lot of things that they said was of God. Wasn't even close. I remember, I remember when laughter, holy laughter was sweeping. We were in Jackson, Alabama. And this evangelist wanted our church to break out in holy laughter so bad. And we weren't a laughing church. I, I don't even know if we were a happy church. <laughs> and... And it was like a cow looking at a new gate. It was like, and so she demonstrated for us. You remember that, Brenda? It was a woman evangelist. I shouldn't have said a woman evangelist. I tried not to say that. Great, great preacher, but she, she, just, she just wanted us to break out in this holy laughter. It was kind of like sweeping. It was, it was one of the things that was going on. And she laughed and laughed. And finally, a dear brother on the second row got tickled at her. <laughs> and he started laughing. So she gravitated to him. And they just were belly laughing at each other. And 90% of the people was just watching this demonstration that was supposed to be of God. I was like, I said, she don't realize he's laughing at her. And I think she started laughing at him. So they were having a wonderful holy laughter. 
But there's, I'm like, what scripture do you get from that? What, what, where's the word? Are you following me? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm a tickler about that, but I was like, where do we get, where do we get some of the things we experience? And it kind of can be trendy, and, and, and it can, can just pull us in. It's like, well, this is what's happening today. And it says, are we sure that that's the byproduct of the presence of God and the Word of God, or is this just our emotions? And, and I'm talking as an emotional person. Because I want to experience the presence of God. And it's really easy when you put your mind on him and you begin to think of the wonder and the majesty that here we are on this planet and the one who made everything is your personal father in heaven. That doesn't conjure up some kind of response. I don't know what, what else can. But... To, to make sure that we are living those experiences out, we need to know this. We need to crave this. We, need to, we don't need to be rigid people because that's what the Pharisees were. They used this. Jesus said, you, you, you make people in, more enslaved by your rules. And you don't lift one finger to help them. You make them more. A child of, didn't he say a child of hell? And then he says, you're, you think you're helping them by all your rigid requirements? You're making them more bound up. So we're not to use this to browbeat people. But when we know it, we can step into experiences with the freedom that this is of God. This is what's so beautiful when people see the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not because somebody told them about it, it's because they discovered it. This is one of the great promises of God in his word. And as Peter said, Cornelius proved to us that God is no respecter of persons. Hallelujah. You don't have to be educated in seminary to receive it, and you don't have to be saved for 30 years before you receive it. You can receive the fullness of the Lord just by opening your soul. It is of God. It is for us. And I, and I love our worship. I love our worship. I appreciate Brandon being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I appreciate those who lead us in worship. But I want us to walk in, in worship and live in worship, not just on Sunday and Wednesday, but develop a life of worship. Where we can say as David, Lord, I just really love the boundaries you put around my life. That's what commands are. Yeah. I just, I just love you protecting me from getting out of sorts. By identifying this is where I want you to live. And on the other side of that fence is trouble. And don't start climbing over the fence because you're going to get in trouble there. Those are the boundaries of the Lord. They're there to protect us. And they're there to minister to us. Well, I don't know what you got out of this, but I, I really enjoyed sharing it. Yeah, I repeat. Stand with me, if you will. Brother Larry could tell you who I was talking about. 
dear, a dear brother, a dear brother, I, and, and I'm not putting any fault on her. She was just trying to get us loosened up, I guess, to so rigid church that we had. We weren't a very good worshiping church. I'll just admit that to you. But we, we, we made progress. The laughter. <laughs> Amen. Lord, we just give you thanks for your goodness.